Blog Talk Radio. I've got a deeper love, a deeper love, a deeper love inside, and I call it pride, a deeper love, pride, a deeper love, pride, a deeper love,
Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Recovery Corner. I am your host, Tanya Wilson, also known as Authoress Tanya Wilson, author of the book, The Time Is Now. The Recovery Corner is proudly brought to you by The Literary Corner. We also provide a diverse platform to bring awareness to socioeconomic issues within our community. Christian values, promotion of small businesses, and support of nonprofit organizations. Our partnering NOP, the Theodore House, provides invaluable services for people who suffer with addictions, mental health, homelessness, and HIV. For more information, please contact Ms. Tamika Randall at www. Dot theodorehouse.org, and we will be right back after this quick commercial break. So, right in the building, House of Stone by Coco. I'm going to show you. She going to show you. We going to show you how we do this, huh? What? Yo, this bling be the illest. Coco House of Stone got a feeling. Step up in the room. Royal like a queen. Rockin' House of Stone, girl, you know you reign supreme. Red carpet jewels. Finest of quality. Necklace so reckless. I know you've seen the rosary designer for celebrity. Pieces on the runway. Tracy Lynn was so back when you gotta grow up someday. Big girl accessories. Always on fleek. Not the average, but the baddest chick. The ones who like to be unique. We don't follow the crowd. We set the trends. Other fashions bow down. House of Stone will never be. My bad, with this commercial interrupt, I'm just trying to be your friend, help you step your game up. When you put on House of Stone, get ready for your close-up. Trendsetters, go get his lady, didn't know. House of Stone stands alone, I just thought I'd let you know. I think I said too much, you need to catch your breath, nobody does it better. Yo, House of Stone is the best, this is the soul writer. And I'm here with my girl Coco, House of Stone by Coco, that is. She's got the flyest bling on the planet, yo, she kicking down doors. In magazines, on the runway, celebrity jewelry designer, and I'm trying to put you down with games. On Facebook, House of Stone by Coco. Instagram, House of Stone by Coco. Twitter, House of Stone by Coco. Yo, it's real easy. And if you're really trying to holler at my girl, then holler at your girl, the soul writer, and I'll put you in direct contact with none other than the lady herself. Now, when you step outside, your fashion needs to be standing on a firm foundation, and it gets no firmer than the house that Coco built. Yo, check it. I'ma show you, huh? She gonna show you what? We gonna show you how we do this, huh? What? House of Stone by Coco. It doesn't get any better than the best. <laughs> Welcome back to the Recovery Corner. I am your host, authorist Tanya Wilson. And my guest for this evening is author Denise Jones. Denise Jones was born and raised on Chicago's west side. She is the eldest of seven children. At the age of 12, her mother introduced her to shooting heroin. That lasted for over 15 years. She lived as a man and dropped out of school in the fourth grade. She embraced the street life of drugs, prostitution, and crime. Her life was filled with poverty, incest, 
molestation, drug addiction, and incarceration. Denise grabbed hold to a seed of hope in spite of the life she had created for herself. Being at the right place at the right time, she heard the deliverance testimony of a recovering addict. The woman was telling story Denise had been living. She, she received that message and accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as her personal Savior in 1986. Through Christ, the very course of her life was altered. She accepted her calling as a deliverance minister in God's true holiness. Her belief system and faith are based on the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ. For the last past, for the past 29 years, she has been clean and sober and full of inner peace with her past. She lives by 2 Corinthians 5, 7, 517. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. Denise has vowed had vowed never to return to school after dropping out in the fourth grade. But she changed that vow after seeing what education had done in the lives of her peers. She enrolled in Olive Harvey College and received her GED in 1993. Next, she enrolled at National Lewis University in 2005, and received her B.S. in Behavioral Sciences in 2007. She also received her graduate degree from Spurtis College in Nonprofit Management with a specialization in Human Services Administration in 2009. Denise founded Tender Touch NFP in 2004 for ex-offenders, women, and youth. She is the author of the book entitled, Who Said It Couldn't Be Done? She is currently working on her second book, Break Free, and continues to spread the message of hope. And ladies and gentlemen, I introduce to you author Denise Jones. How are you doing this evening, Denise? I'm doing well. Just thank you for having me on your show. It's my pleasure. Thank you for joining us on the Recovery Corner Blog Talk Radio Show to share your story with us this evening. Now, my first question that I have for you is, what was it like for you as a child growing up in Chicago, Illinois? Wow. You know, I really have to say that I didn't have a childhood. Um, Mm. As I think back on the first pain that I had ever experienced, and it was during the time when my mother pierced my ear. Mm. And as I continued on um, growing and somewhere between the ages of four and five, I Mm. began to have it where my grandfather 
was fondling my body. Mm, at four so, or five? Yes, at the age of four or five. And it really didn't stop there, you know. Mm. It went on to when my grandparents would go out on the weekends and my uncle would babysit me. And we mm-hmm. would play hide-and-go-seat. And he always wanted me to hide with him in the big closet. Oh, and okay. always, yes, and I always would put my put me up against the wall and hop on my body and kiss me. So mm-hmm. some part of my childhood was very painful. Mm-hmm. And then there were some times, during the times when my grandmother was there with me, those were those were some happy moments. Mm-hmm. But when the weekend came, mm. it, it just brought it just brought trauma. Wow. So, so you're the oldest of seven children. How did you get along with your your siblings? Oh no, we were we were all very tight in the, in the house because my grandparents pretty much raised us except for the last two. And that was after my mother changed her life and got married. Okay. But for the most part, we were all in the house together. Oh, okay. So basically, it was your grandmother who raised you all for the most part. Okay. Yes. Because my mother, we were pretty much like sisters because she got pregnant with me when she was 12 and had me when she was 13. Wow. (laughs) She was a child. Yes, a baby. Yeah. Wow. So it was like y'all grew up like y'all were like sisters almost, huh? Exactly. So I never really just I knew that she was my birth mother, but right. I didn't acknowledge her as my mother. My I acknowledged my grandmother. That was who I called mama. Mm-hmm. That was who I ran to lean on because my mother was never you know, she was in and out. Right, right. Wow, because she was still a baby herself when she had you, so she was still probably partying or whatever. Well, she had not started that yet, but you know how you plan with the little games in the Mm -hmm. neighborhood with the boys. So she got, you know, when she got pregnant with me, she hid it all the way Mm. into the time for her to go in and and deliver me. Wow. And then once I was, yes, and once I was born, not knowing how to really take care of a child, and I was crying and, you know, spoiled for whatever reason, doing a lot of crying. And uh, my auntie gave me a bottle of ass physics, which is a medication that really puts you to sleep. And okay. uh, they thought they thought the medicine had killed me because they had given wow. me too much of it. Mm. So I was experiencing pain after pain after mm. pain. So um, during that time, who um, did you go to for, like, support, you know, like if you needed someone to talk to? No, I mean, as a child, you really don't know how to convey anything like that Mm -hmm. um, because I don't know if anyone else has ever experienced it, but it was a point, you know, how you coming up and – your grandfather mm-hmm. would give you the a nickel or a dime, and you kind of thought you had the world. Right, right. So, and you would be told, this is our secret. Don't tell anyone or you can't get any money. Mm-hmm. So as a child, that was not something that 
willing to share it with anyone. Exactly. Mm. So who who were your role models when you were growing up? Oh, well, I would say, you know, did I have, like, positive role models? No, but I admired my uncle and my aunt who took care of me along mm-hmm. with my grandmother. You know, they were just giving me the world. Right. The shopping, the dressing, the keeping the hair did. Just, you mm-hmm. know, I was just full rotten. So that's who <laughs> my role model was. Okay. So um, now you say your mother introduced you to shooting heroin when you were 12 years old? Yes, because she was a drug addict. Oh, wow. So what she would do was uh, one year, my sister and I, we went to North Dakota. Mm -hmm. And let me just kind of bag up because uh, at the age of about 8 to 10 years old, you know, my mother had gotten an apartment and she she told my grandmother she wanted us. And when we moved in with her, and it was some months later, uh, there was a program that invited neighborhood children to go on these vacations. Mm-hmm. So me and my sisters went on this vacation for two weeks. <laughs> and when mm-hmm. we came back, <laughs> my mother had completely changed from what I knew she was. Wow, she had just two weeks? Yes. So it had to be, when, when I look back on it now, it had to be that she was already in the making of doing some things. Right, right. So so when you came back, it was like it was a different person. Came back, she picked us up at the train station. She was looking like a man. She had this different colored afro. She had wow. these strange people with her. And, and I was like, who are these people? I said, what happened to May? I was asking my brother, what happened to May? And he he would tell me, be quiet. You always want to know something. Mm. But it, it that that just that was a turning point. Mm. Wow, that was a turning point. And at that point, she began to have all types of strange people in the house, mm-hmm. and they would begin to do certain things. They would begin to have the parties, the orgies, and the different things like that in the house. Wow. So me being nosy, I always wanted to know why was you always in this room? Why would you lock up in the room all the time? And all this loud noise and partying going on outside of the room. Mm. So I would always ask, why are all these people here? Why are you always locking us in? Why are you always going there and close the door all the time? Why are you always taking us with you to go and do this? So I just was always asking why. Mm-hmm. Why? You were very inquisitive. If you wanted to know, I would want to know too. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Why? And this one day she decided to allow me to come and sit in a room with her. And she said, Denise, I'm letting you see this because I don't want you to turn out to be like me. 
So she allowed me to see her shooting drugs. Mm. How did you feel at that moment? I don't even know if I can say how I felt. It was like like a you know, a stare like mm-hmm. what is what are you doing? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and at that point one of the times she allowed me to see that she fell out. She had she had had took an overdose. Mm-hmm. And I was running to the house screaming and calling my brother and sister to come help us, get her. She did. It, that was that mm, was my That had to be traumatizing. It was trauma. Mm. It was trauma. I mean, it was trauma. And we were able to, for all I can say now, that it was truly God that allowed her to come back. Right, right. And did that stop her? No, it did not. Did that stop her from taking me and my brother with her? No, it did not. And if one day she said to me, I want you to go over here and I want you to ask for this particular person. He's going to give you something and I need you to bring it back. I got on the bus, went over to Ogden to where she's the cop of packages from. And he mm-hmm. gave me this, this this bag with this stuff in it. And mm-hmm. <laughs> on the way coming back, I opened the bag up. I took two bags out, mm-hmm. tied it up, gave it back to her. And all I was saying in my mind that I am going to be like my mother. Wow. So it and was you were 12 years old at the time? Yes. And what she mm. thought was that I was going to not have the mind. But I said, oh, I'm going to be just like my mother. So I knew where she had the needle. I knew where she kept the cooker at. I knew where she kept the tie at, the tie up. Mm. And one day I went in the washroom. I did everything I saw her do. Open mm. it up, put it in the spoon. I cooked it up, drew it up in the syringe, ran a little cold water on it. Tied my wrist up. Wow. Stuck the needle right in my wrist. Pow. Mm, mm, mm. And not knowing what the outcome was going to be. Mm, mm, mm. So, I. Mm, that's. Wow. So, is is the reason. Is that the reason why you dropped out of school in the fourth grade? Was it because of your use of drugs or because you had to pretty much look after your younger sisters and brothers? It was a it was a combination of combination. It was a combination. It was a combination of not having the proper clothing, uh, mm-hmm. looking thrown away, not being able to go because of my addiction. Now I got addicted to heroin, not knowing mm-hmm. that I was addicted because I really didn't know what that meant. Right. But not I that knew that I was but I knew that I was having some pain 
Because once mm-hmm. I started doing it, I was hanging out with her friend. Mm-hmm. So in doing that, that's what took me out of school. Right. So I had a combination of things that was going on at the age of 12 years old. And, mm-hmm. and, and I mean, it was like it was one thing behind another that was happening. I mean, it was like it was nonstop. Stop, yeah. So how... Did you? How old were you when your mother when your mother found out that you were using? Where she a year just didn't pay any. It was a year, a year later. A whole no, year. A year later. Wow. A year later. How, how, and, and how did she find out? Because it was some of her friends that was in the project that they were drug addicts, and uh-huh. I was down there. I was down there in their washroom when she came in, and I had the uh-huh. needle in my arm, and she came Oof. in and saw it. Mm. What did she say? She wanted to kill everybody in there. Oh, she wanted to kill everybody in there? She wanted to kill everyone that was in there because she thought that they had introduced me to drugs. Mm. But yet, when you were 12, she showed you how to do it. Exactly. Mm. But she didn't, that wasn't what she was thinking about. She looking, right. you know, as a mother, you open up the door and you see your child in with a needle in your arm and these people here, that this mm. is who did it. Right. Wow. That's deep. So it was, you know, I have to still sit here sometimes and evaluate and look back over my own life. Right, right. And and just the things that I've been to, been through, it keeps me with gratitude not mm-hmm. to ever want to go back and travel down that road again. Because mm-hmm. not only, you know, of getting turned out to the drugs, at the mm-hmm. same time she would have, you know, different women that was in the house that was bisexual, some of them was just outright you know, mm-hmm. uh, lesbians and studs, and because I was very mm-hmm. tomboyish. Right. You know, I would always have on big shirts and things like that, very tomboyish. And they used mm-hmm. to always say, you're going to be a little dyke. You're going to be a little wow, dyke. Wow, they just going to tell you what you're going to be, huh? Oh, <laughs> listen, listen, listen. You're going to be a dyke. You're going to be this. So it was always one thing after the other, and this lady, eight years older than I was, that was who introduced me to the homosexual lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So that was that was another that was another form of addiction, <laughs> like mm-hmm. the drugs were. So like, that's when. So you started actually living your life as a man. Yes, I did. And can you tell me a little bit about how, what that was like? Well. Part of the thing that caused that was because of the molestation. Right. And during the time, my mother used to have orgies in the house, and and if anyone wanted to be a part of her group, they had to be initiated in by having sex with everybody who was already in the group. Wow. So if these would be these would be uh, young girls that were virgins, you know, and I saw this man having sex with her. And he was like dog screwing her. And me and her made out of eye contact. And she had this 
look in her eyes and her face like, help me, help me. That messed my mind up. That blew my mind. And at that point, I started to say I would never, ever deal with men. Men were nothing but dogs. They hurt. They painful. Mm-hmm. So that drove me right off into the lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I had to grow and develop into the role that I took on. Right. So it wasn't no turning back, and it wasn't no, like, I'm going to go I'm going to go get me. No, it was none of that. I took on that role, and I walked with that fear for over 15, 16 years of saying that I would never, ever deal with a man. Right. Mm. Because of what I saw. So can you tell me what was your greatest fear during the time that you were using? Um. You know what? I don't. You know, I don't even really recall if I had a fear. Mm-hmm. I had a bold craziness about myself that I knew that any moment I could get killed. But I didn't right. know if I was fearful. Right. But it was something that would cross your mind. That somebody was going to kill me because I was doing some treacherous, I was doing some treacherous things. Mm. Wow. So that's why I said I had a bold craziness. Mm. Wow. So now you talk about you, what kind of things did you do that, you know, got you incarcerated? Can you tell me what it was like? for you being locked up and being in prison? <laughs> yes, I, uh, I, I remember first getting arrested for disorderly conduct. And mm. when I went to jail, I had on men drawers, men shoes, men, the whole, men, the whole mm. man attire. Mm-hmm. And I recall when I got there and they took me into the cell to tell me to strip. Mm-hmm. And when I took off my clothes, I had on men draw a men penis strapped on, and wow. I heard I heard the guard calling the other guards saying, "We got a bull dagger back here." You know that was a term that they used to use. <laughs> yeah, I remember. yeah, I remember when they oh, used to call them bull daggers. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, and it was like, "We got a bull dagger back here." I could hear. Hear her telling them, we got a bull dagger back here. And you're talking about somebody that felt low and embarrassed and just mm. wish I could have just came out of my skin. Mm. It was so embarrassing to stand there, to have to be humiliated by taking off my clothes and then not being dressed in the proper stuff. Right. I can recall when they told me to, you know, to put my clothes back on. I left those men drawers right there in that cell. <laughs> I 
Right there. Right there in the cell. I was most in Paris. Wow. But you know the funny part about that? I wasn't embarrassed enough to change my life. I wasn't embarrassed enough to not do the things that would cause me to come back again. Right, right. And as I told you, Mm -hmm. I had a bold craziness. So I started Mm -hmm. to break into mailboxes, stealing the people's food stamps and checks out the mailboxes. Mm. And that was during the time when they used to send food stamps in the mail. Okay. And used to get, you know, get the staffs, and I began to start to break in, stealing those, and then it just went a little further. I began to start breaking into the apartment. I began mm-hmm. to start sticking up car staffs, wow. hanging out on corners, you know, walking the strolls, um, and, 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 and going after the Hispanics and the Polish, talking about push, push, and chota and mm-hmm. standing in doorways, cutting their pockets off. So I began to start, wow. just start to do some real bold, crazy things. Yeah, that's pretty bold. <laughs> cutting, <laughs> off, cutting off people's pockets. Uh, you know, it's like, you know, you go to jail enough for sticking up and sticking up mm-hmm. and strong arming people, and so you connect in jail with other other game players, or you come out on the streets and you meet other game players who stand out of jail. And mm-hmm. so you begin to say, "Well, I need to pick up this game. How are you doing this?" So I had, you know, some acquaintances who taught me how to pickpocket, and they were staying out of jail. So I learned okay. that game. Wow. So it's it's uh, hey, it's been a traveling road. That's. That's that's all I have to say. So, can you tell me during the time that all of this was going on, where were your younger sisters and brothers? Were they still living with your mother, or were they living with other family members? No, they was living. They were still living with my mother. So, we all had a hard time. My sisters and brothers had a very, very hard and difficult time. I have one sister who turned out to be an alcoholic. Uh, she was a functioning alcoholic. Then I had another sister who was a drug addict who would wait for me to come and steal my drugs when she became addicted and started prostituting and was a crackhead. Mm. And then both of my brothers were selling drugs. Mm. So the whole family wow. was messed up because of my mother. Mm-mm-mm. So mm, that's hard. <laughs> Wait, you said how to come back after that one, right? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> did were were was your grandmother? And your aunts and your uncle, were they in your life at that point after you started using, or did they try to tell you, you know, or were you even around them at all? No, I always still stayed in contact, but my grandmother was so hurt. She was so hurt. She was so hurt to find out that I was doing drugs, 
then I turned I'm turned out into the same lifestyle as my mother. She was she was truly hurt. And she said to me, All I have ever asked you to do was to finish school and I'll buy you a car the year you come out. Mm-hmm. And I and I couldn't do that and I chose to be with my mother and I started stealing from my grandmother and mm-hmm. because now my mother you know, we, we bought it. Both of us are yeah. using, so we both need money. So I started distilling for my grandmother in order to provide for both our habits. Mm-hmm. And so my grandmother, she was like, listen, she didn't just outright tell me I couldn't come, but she said, listen, you either make a choice. You stay out there with some bull daggers and a morpha dice, or you do what I taught you to do. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was, it was heartbreaking to her. Mm-hmm. And what about your aunt and your uncle? They both was they both was uh, devastated, but at a point, everybody started to cut me off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I was I was just you know starting to do some things that that was just unmentionable. Mm. Wow. So. Did your younger brothers and sisters, did they drop out of school also? Um, the one sister next to me, she did not. Her boyfriend from the third grade stuck with her, and his mother helped her out, coached her, coached her pushed her, mm-hmm. and finally she moved in with them. She was the first to graduate. Wow. So it it was, yeah. Wow. So so you so you had one sister that actually graduated. Then did any of the other of of your other sisters and brothers graduate? Just or was it just her that graduated? No, everyone everyone came out of the eighth grade. But my sister was the first to receive her receive her degree. Okay. Okay. So um, when was it that that you realized that you had a really bad problem? <laughs> oh wow! I knew that when I was doing the things that I was doing, all the sticking up and the stealing and the burglarizing. I knew I was mm. bad off. I knew that I was bad off. Mm. But I couldn't stop. Mm. Is it because you didn't you is it because you didn't want to stop or you just did you know well, it was a little, it was Did a you want to stop? I, did, I didn't want to stop and the reason why I didn't want to stop is because I was ha- I was having so much pain in my life. So mm-hmm. I know that when I shoot drugs, when I drop pills, when I drink syrup, all I did was slap. I didn't have right. to I didn't have to come alive mm-hmm. and deal with we have no food in the house. Mm-hmm. We can't dress and we can't look like this. We don't have a mother. I didn't have to come and think about those things. Right. So that so kind of helped numb the pain of that. Of exactly. You know. mm. Exactly. 
Wow. So what was it that turned your life around? Well, start, start, you know, as <laughs> as life continues, my life continued to go down a certain path. And mm-hmm. living as a drug addict and a man for over 15 years began to endure some trauma. I was having problems with, with men in the street because they hated that mm-hmm. I was in a lifestyle and I was having women. I had women who were thieves by day, horned by night. And wow. the men in the you know, the men in the neighborhood did not like me for that. Mm-hmm. And I can recall one day and these were men that knew my sister. And I figured, well, hey, you know, she know them, they'll be all right with me. I didn't know that they didn't like me. You right. know, I just always would hear them saying certain things. But I asked mm-hmm. them, I said, man, why don't you run me out west to get some more drugs, you know, and I'll look out for you. I get in the car with these three guys. I'm in the back seat, and I'm I'm nine. I'm already high. I didn't even need no more drugs. You ain't even and need I'm, no I'm, more. You didn't even need it. Mm. And I'm in the back seat and I'm nodding and I hear them talking. They said, Man, this dude thinks she a man. She running around here with these women. Man, we gonna rape her and kill her and throw oh, her behind Brock's Candy Company. Hmm. So I heard them mm-hmm. and in my mind after I saw this man having sex with this woman early on in my life, I had mm-hmm. always said if a man tried to rape me, I would kill myself first. Wow. So by these men saying, man, we're going to rape her and kill her, all I can hear in my mind, kill yourself, kill yourself, kill yourself. I opened mm-hmm. up the car door and I jumped out the car and I started wow. running trying to get away to kill myself before they rape me and kill me mm-hmm. as they planned to do. And I ran, and I came to this building. And I, this one guy, he was chasing me. I looked back, I seen him. I just jumped through this glass door window. Bam, went through all this glass. Mm. And when I jumped through that door, I cut my, I was cutting my head, cut on my shoulder. Cut down my arm. I was cut down my arm from my hand all the way up to my elbow. My hand was hanging off. Ooh. And I stood in the hallway in a pool of blood. And I began to see my life flashing back before me. And at the same time, I felt my life leaving my body. Oof. And I began to beg and say, God, if you save my life this time, mm-hmm. I'll live for you, God, if you save my life. Lord, don't let me die like this. Mm-hmm. I was begging for my life. Mm-hmm. And I passed out. When I woke up, I was at the neighborhood hospital. Yeah. And they were so, asking me to 
for where, where was it? Where were you when you jumped through the glass door? Where was that at? It was on the west side on Maypole. Mhm. Was it like a store or? No, it was a two. It was a. It was a building. It was a two flat building on the corner. Oh okay. Like an apartment complex. Yes. Okay. Wow. So. You work. You you woke up in the neighborhood hospital. Yes, and they were asking, you know, for my phone number, things of that nature, and they were just putting towels around me, just trying to stabilize me. And I heard them. This this happened July the tenth, nineteen eighty. And I heard them tell my mother on the phone. They said, "There's nothing we could do for her." You, her body is going to the county hospital. Wow. Because that hospital, there was nothing they could do for me. Mm-hmm. And they transported me to Cook County Hospital. Mm-hmm. And because of the mercy of God, he had Oof. some doctors on the scene that mm-hmm. when they rushed me there, they began to immediately start to give me blood and start to stitch mm-hmm. me up. Mm-hmm. Wow. And as you very well can hear, today is only because of the mercy of God By that the I'm still God. Able yes. to tell yes. this story. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. So, yeah. so when I think about the goodness of God, when I think about that I'm going to go back and live that old lifestyle, gratitude begin to work up because I refuse to let situations and circumstances draw me back Mm -hmm. into that lifestyle. There is no pain that I believe that I can endure that God can't take me through. Amen. So, so that, wow. and when you when I look back at that, that still mm-hmm. did not stop me from doing the drugs and wow. being with being with even all after, the different. Uh, wow, even after that. After that, I got out of the hospital. I was stitched up. I was bent fall off. I went and found one of my friends who named me DJ because that was my street name. Okay. And I told her, I said, man, I said, let's, come on, let's, let's go get some drugs. And wow. uh, I was all bandaged up. So what I did was when she cooked the drugs up, I let her shoot dope in my foot. Mm. And I was back at the rat race all over again, doing the same thing all over again. Wow. So, mm. those are the things that you do when you're addicted. Yeah. Wow. So, now you said you you said you were at the right place and at the right time, and you heard someone's story. And where were you at when you heard this this testimony of a recovering addict? Well. I was sitting in my grandmother's uh, 
I mean, in my mother's garage, and I had been smoking cocaine, and I had been shooting dope, and I was like, man, I can't get high no more. It's hard to live it like this. But I had heard someone tell me about a place that I could go to and that I could be delivered. And at the same time, my my mother had went, and she had gotten her life together. Oh, okay. But I still was in the street, still doing the thing. So I constantly was hearing for years, Denise, you don't have to live like this. Denise, you don't have to keep doing this. Denise, don't let God, you know, don't let God have to get you. You know, I was just hearing all kinds of everything about not to live the way I was. I didn't have to live the way I was living. Right. And in that garage, I sat there one day. I said, you know what? I am going to go to this church. And I just want up this whole group. And I went there and I heard the word of life being preached. And it began to say, you don't have to live like this. You don't have to continue to live your life like this. Why die like this? Right. And at that point, they, you know, you listen to it. And I thought my mother told them that I was a drug addict. <laughs> All right, well, I'm you go. <laughs> That's what we do. We don't think about, you know, God heard right. it. Right, or well, God knows sees and knows all. So Exactly. <laughs> mm, wow. So we have someone on the line who has a question. Caller ending and eight four four five. That you is, are live on the Recovery Corner. Who am I speaking with? Hi, Tanya. It's Craig Dickinson from Drug Addicts. Hi, Craig. How are you doing? Very good. I miss being on your show. And I tuned Aww. in tonight to listen to Denise because I read what sounded like a very powerful story on yeah. the uh, post you put up. Denise, hello. Mm-hmm. How are you Hi, today? Hi, I'm well. How about yourself? I'm very well and very happy to be on the air with you guys. I was listening to your fabulous testimony and um, developing all these things in my head that I wanted to say. And, of course, when you get on air, you forget, right? But um, (laughs) what's happening today, Denise, and thank God you are clean and sober myself as well, is that these advocates like myself have been putting the word on the street that we can't be ashamed to be drug addicts. And in the past two years, with all the work we've done on Facebook, uh, all people all over the country, and it's actually recognized around the world, the world is looking at addiction differently. I was in D.C. this year for the big rally at the Washington Monument uh, for Unite to Face Addiction. And my eyes were opened when the attorney uh, general was up on stage and recognizing our cause. Unfortunately, our families, our friends, and our employers still live in a world where addiction is looked down at as bums in the street, and who cares if they die, and who cares? And you know what? We're all born with human compassion, and we're human beings before we're drug addicts. So how dare anyone say that, oh, they should die, and you know, they got what they was coming to them, while a mother is burying their child. It's just something we don't do on this planet. Anyway, one of the key things to aid in explaining to a family member is information, information, education. Is what's available on the Internet. 
We have found now that drug addiction is, in fact, an illness, a brain disorder. They're doing brain scans, and they are seeing that there is a chemical reaction in your head. So like you were saying, Denise, when uh, you came out of the hospital, you you had drugs in your system. I don't know. Was it heroin you were doing? You said Denise? was it drugs? You said was it what was Heroin? Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, we all know that heroin and opiates not only have the mental power but the physical power over one's body. Once you introduce narcotics to your brain, your brain's priorities have now changed. And your brain's priority from birth, the only job it has, is survival. That's the only thing our brain works for day in and day out. Everything else is learned behavior. Once we introduce the narcotic, especially heroin, and well, we all know about coke and crack, <laughs> heroin will make you do crazy things. Coke and crack will make you crazy. But um, once we introduced, that was a joke, you guys, and it's also the truth. Once we introduced the narcotic oh, to our brain. But you, but, you, but you were asking me a question. Were you asking me a question? You were. Well, what I'm trying to explain and answer, actually, your testimony, you know, to the public and the listeners, that when our brain changes, our survival instinct kicks into a different gear, and now our brain believes it can only survive under the influence of that narcotic. And these are the reasons when we were out in the street that we do the things we do. Tell me your name again. Craig. 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 And, and, and you know, when you look at that from a therapeutic standpoint, that is absolutely true. And as I told Tanya early on in my conversation, as being a drug addict, being a drug counselor, and part of my reasoning for coming out of the counseling mold is because I did not want to continue to teach under that therapeutic umbrella because I couldn't self-disclose. As you know, being a counselor, they didn't want you to really do self-disclosure. You, you are know? absolutely correct. You know, and Denise... So, hold on. Hold on, let me say that. Go ahead, I'm, go ahead. And so in saying that, yes, from a therapeutic standpoint, on a psychological point and a physiological point, those are the things that does take place with the mind and with the body. But then for me, on a spiritual standpoint, was where the operation took place for me. Because not only was it a psychological and a physiological point, I also had a heart problem. Oh, my goodness. So, and when I say a heart problem, I don't mean I had a heart problem where I had a going into cardiac arrest. I'm saying I had a heart problem. I had things that were in my heart that needed to be washed out of my heart in order to move me past that psychological part that caused all the physical things on me. Yeah, you'll find that in most all addicts, that there's issues. And spiritually, of course, is an awakening. My point, and, and, and what you said about the science today, science today and what we have recently found, and it's, it's still the research is still in its infancy, is going to change the way, not that we look at addiction, the way we treat addiction. The traditions and the 12 steps that 99% of the facilities in this country 
that take money from insurance companies for rehabilitation, you know, basically operate under a 12-step tradition. They point, well, Craig, they point you in this, a direction. Let me, let me say this, Craig. Let me say this. Go ahead. I'm going to say this. And I understand the 12-step functionings and, and how they came to do. But even Bill and Bob had enough sense and enough understanding in the step when he said came to believe a power greater than the steps. Of course. Can restore me. So even with Bill and Bob setting that in place, the steps was just a start. That a was tool. just a exactly. start. That was just a start to get people moving in one direction. But then when you look at the spiritual point of it, it changes the whole behavior. You don't have to go through a step by step process. Because Bill and Bob said it, I believe in the third step when he said came to believe a power greater, which should be the, that's why when you said that they started to look at addiction from a whole different standpoint, nobody don't really want to give God the credit that he is the only that can change and regulate a man's mind and heart and body. Absolutely. And no question about it. Through one process. When we deal with chemicals. Interfering with our brain's survival instincts. There's a big difference from the traditions AA was set up upon for alcoholics than the multiple disorders that Narcotics Anonymous was set up to supposedly help people who are drug addicts. Alcoholics Anonymous was the predecessor. Narcotics Anonymous, of but, course. But, but, listen, but when you think about when you think about all that, the whole other land, when you look at the whole the whole piece of any alcoholic, any drug addict, any gambler, any pedophilia, it, when you look at prostitution or not, when you look at the whole layer of that whole piece, it's still a hard problem and a learned behavior problem. No question about it. When you introduce so, when you introduce an narcotic to a brain, it's a voluntary. You know, first we're volunteers, and then we become victims because once the drug takes over person, your body, you know, you know, it could be your child, it could be your mother calling you, it could be you falling out of a car and having to go to the hospital. But if you got to get high because you're already high, nothing's going to stop you. And no, you know, until so you reach problem, that, until you thing, reach that spiritual realization, like that, you were trying to say. Only, that's the only way. That's the only way. And like you said, you can go to every program in the United States. You can go to the best of best. And if you look at Wendy Houston and a whole lot of the celebrities, they have been to the best of best of treatment. You know. And but they what, still come back doing the same thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna leave you guys to it's actually your show, Denise. I just wanted to call in and say hello to Tanya and. Uh, you as well. Um, I run a website. Thank you very much. I run a website so on much, the Greg, internet Craig. and on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Am I done? Go ahead. I wanted, to, I wanted to leave with I wanted to leave with one last line. Look us up okay. on Drug Addicts Against Drugs. One of my favorite lines of a movie from all time is when the Blues Brothers went downstairs um, in the church. And their friend was sitting at the table, and he looked over and said, "You boys need to get some churching." Because when you step in the church, and guess what, Craig? And guess what, Craig? 
And my one-liner is this, 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore if any man be in Christ, in Christ, <laughs> that's, that's my one-liner. Therefore if any man be in Christ. So look me up on Facebook, Arthur Denise Jones, and we can keep it going. We'll hook up. We'll hook up through Tanya. You ladies enjoy your okay. evening. Thank you for having well, me, Tanya. Thank we'll you speak for real soon. In. God and bless you. Good with night. Us and listen to the rest of the show. And thank you so much, Craig, for All right. you know joining bye bye us now. on the Recovery Corner. Good night, Denise. Good night. Good night, Craig. So um, yes, I'm still here. Um. Right now we're going to um, go to a a quick commercial break And we'll be right back And we'll talk about your your book Sure Okay So writer in the building House of Stone by Coco I'm going to show you She going to show you We going to show you how we do this Huh? What? Yo, this bling be the illest. Coco House of Stone got a feeling. Step up in the room. Royal like a queen. Rockin' House of Stone, girl, you know you reign supreme. Red carpet jewels, finest of quality. Necklace so reckless. I know you seen the rosary designer for celebrity. Pieces on the runway. Tracy Lynn was so back when you gotta grow up someday. Big girl accessories, always on fleek. Not the average, but the baddest chick. The ones who like to be unique. We don't follow the crowd. We set the trends. Other fashions bow down. House of Stone will never be. My bad with this commercial interrupt. I'm just trying to be your friend. Help you step your game up. When you put on House of Stone, get ready for your close up. Trendsetters, go get his ladies in the know. House of Stone stands alone. I just thought I'd let you know. I think I said too much. You need to catch your breath. Nobody does it better. Yo, House of Stone is the best. This is the soul writer. And I'm here with my girl Coco. House of Stone by Coco. That is, she's got the flyers bling on the planet. Yo, she's kicking down doors. In magazines, on the runway, celebrity jewelry designer, and I'm trying to put you down with game. On Facebook, House of Stone by Coco. Instagram, House of Stone by Coco. Twitter, House of Stone by Coco. Yo, it's real easy. And if you're really trying to holler at my girl, then holler at your girl, the soul writer, and I'll put you in direct contact with none other than the lady herself. Now, when you step outside, your fashion needs to be standing on a firm foundation, and it gets no firmer than the house that Coco built. Yo, check it. I'm going to show you, huh? She's going to show you what? We're going to show you how we do this, huh? What? House of Stone by Coco. It doesn't get any better than the best. <laughs> Welcome back to the Recovery Corner. I am your host. Author is Tanya Wilson, and I'm here with my guest, author Denise Jones. Now, Denise, can you finish telling me about how it came about that you, you know, were able to get off the drugs and, you know, you know, whatever drugs you were doing? Yeah. Well, in 1986, Tanya, what I did was. I went to a place, and I heard the gospel being preached, and Mm -hmm. there was a sound that was ringing in my ear about, I didn't have to continue to live like this. Why would you Mm -hmm. want to die like this? Right. In 1986, there was an altar call. I Mm -hmm. went up. 
I gave my life. All I simply did was lifted my hands, and I asked God to forgive me, to come into my life, and the preacher began to pray for me. I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ in my life. From 1986 to 2016, I have not shot not one drug, not dropped not one pill, have not turned up not one bottle of syrup, have not went back and stuck up and burglarized, have not went back and pimped women, have not went back and cut off pockets and played sex. I have not, from that day to this day, did the same behavior to this point in my life. 29 years. 29 years. I worked in the industry. I worked in the industry as a substance abuse counselor, Mm. and I did that for about five or six years. Mm. And I watched them come in and go and come and go and come and go. Same people. They mm-hmm. have been doing drugs for as long as I have, and they will always come in and they will use this. Because well, you know that I'm an addict. Well, I'm an addict psychologically, so mm-hmm. and physically, so. But the real problem was in my heart. The mm-hmm. real problem Spiritual was in problem. their heart. Spiritual. It was a spiritual operation. Mm-hmm. You can't see a, that you have a heart problem. All you think is from a psychological standpoint is that I'm sick and this disease got me. And I have to run and constantly come and be treated for it. Mm-hmm. I fellowship with over 500 people mm-hmm. that have never went through a program before. There was hardcore gangsters, drug dealers, some committed murder. Some sold drugs, used drugs, and guess what? And, and they were already, some of them was already living a new life. And when I heard mm-hmm. their testimonies, it provoked me to say, wow, is it just mm-hmm. like that? Yeah. Divine intervention. And it was, <laughs> and it was just like that. Mm-mm-mm. Wow. So, you know, there's, I'm, I'm, I'm just a firm believer. We know that there are some people that have to be treated psychologically. Well, yeah. And yeah. then certainly you have to give some, you know, meditation for the physical part of the body. I'm not <coughs> naive right. to those things. I said, but right. if more people, more programs were really preaching, teaching, living, and enforcing the gospel, People's lives will be changed. Amen. I believe that also. I definitely believe that. You know. <coughs> so because it's, it's definitely a, a spiritual issue to also. You know. And, and wow. I can choose. I can choose. I can choose after 29 years. You know, I'm a free will agent. I can choose That's after right. 29 years to say, you know what? I'm going to give me a blow. I'm you could, going to but... give me a woman. <laughs> you know, I'm going to go back and I want to become mm-hmm. addicted. Listen, I can make that choice. Mm-hmm. But why would I want to make a choice 
to something as tragic as that. Right, exactly. So what I do is I rely on the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, according Mm -hmm. to Philippians 4.13. I can do all things. I can stay clean Mm -hmm. because it's it's a proven fact. 29 years. True. There are other individuals that I fellowship with, that I connect, that I'm connected with. My mother, my mother's been delivered from drugs now 35 years. Wow. Praise my God. sister, 21 years. Mm-hmm. I have a brother now that's been coming for the last two years who was a drug dealer and had a big gambling problem and committed mm-hmm. adultery. But he's been coming for the last two years. Mm. Wow. So can you so, tell me a little bit about your your book and what your inspiration was for writing your book? Who said it couldn't be done? So what sparked me to write this book is because I always heard people say, Denise, this, DJ, this, Denise. It was, it was like a broken record. Like it was like I could not change. <laughs> and I was always, I was always, hearing the same tune, and I didn't understand because I didn't see myself. I didn't see that something was wrong with me. And so one day I said, you know what, I am so sick and tired of them saying, Denise this, DJ this. I had made up my mind to go change my name. And one day as I was proceeding to do that, I heard this voice say, it is not the name, it's the character. And I said, huh? And it said, it is not the name, it is the character. Mm-hmm. If you change the character, you would love the name. And that moment, mm-hmm. I began to cry, and I began to ask God, Lord, show me. Show me what's wrong with me. Show mm-hmm. me what the people are talking about. And when God began to show me how bad off I really was, mm-hmm. I wanted to commit suicide because I really was in bad faith. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I began to start to write. And as I mm-hmm. started to write, I started to write, remembering far back as when my mother first pierced my ear. Mm-hmm. Remembering far back when my grandfather would put me on, straddle me on his legs and bounce me up and down and stick his tongue in my mouth. Remember far back as when my sister's father used to fondle me, when my uncle would fondle me, when my cousin ejaculated all over my body. I remember all those different things that begin to write. Mm -hmm. And this is when I understood why my life was so messed up. Mm -hmm. It's because of all the different things that had happened. I remember my mother being abusive to me. I remember her abandoning and neglecting me. Mm -hmm. So that's what sparked the book, Who Said Mm -hmm. It Couldn't Be Done? Amen. So during the time that, you know, after you got off drugs, did you receive any counseling? I am currently in a place where I fellowship, that I've been fellowshipping for the last 29 years, and my counseling came, my spiritual counseling came through sitting and hearing the word of God to 
heal my heart. Mm-hmm. Then in a natural sense, I have friends that I'm able to call, and I might call one of my friends, and I might tell her, I say, hey, listen, I fought this fine woman today, and I went through everything in my body, so I'm able mm-hmm. to talk about it. I might call and yeah. say, you know what, I had an opportunity today. I walked past. I saw this purse. I could have got that wallet up out of there. I had the opportunity to say that. I have the opportunity right. to call her and say, hey, listen, this man on my job, man, this man is fine, and he's saying all the right things. Mm-hmm. So now, see, my heart been changed. Right. I no right. longer hate men. I love and I respect them. Mm-hmm. So God put my emotions back on the track, on right track. Right, there you go. So in order to help me stay balanced, I have a support circle that I'm able to talk about anything mm-hmm. that I go through with or thoughts or feelings. I'm able to talk about that to help me maintain who I am today in God. Amen. So <clears throat> what what advice would you have for someone that is an active addiction now, if that is currently an active addiction, and what advice do you have for those who are in recovery? You know, one of the things that I would like to say is I extend my help, my service, as much as God will allow me. I know that I cannot save the whole world. I wouldn't try to save the whole world. But I would make myself available to steer, to guide, to counsel, to coach them until they're able to connect with a right support circle to help them get stable. Amen. So my direction, I would never direct somebody and tell them to run to a counselor, you know, run right. to a treatment program. I, that's not that's not what I do. Okay. So you have now, basically you have yeah. a different approach to treatment, you know, as far as you know, for someone that's addicted to drugs, because it's more like a spiritual based. You know, treatment. Yes, and, and, I, and I'm not saying, and I don't want any of the listeners to take away that I'm saying that a person should not go see a therapist, a person should not go see, you know, mm-hmm. because a drug treatment helps some people. Yeah. As yeah. I as I said earlier on, it is a starter. Mm-hmm. It's a starter. Yes, it can right. get you off the of drugs. Get you started. But what yeah. about the things <laughs> that drove you to using exactly. drugs? Exactly. You have to, you have to take care to of the underlying problem because it's always an underlying problem. Exactly. You know, I remember. Always. I remember when I was working in the working in the counseling field, Tanya, and mm-hmm. there was this lesbian on the unit, and the director was a lesbian, mm-hmm. and the person was asking me. Questions because I was well known in Chicago, so people knew who I was. They knew who mm-hmm. I used to be, and was asking me questions. And I was told, "Well, Denise, you can't disclose that type of information. You know, you have to redirect them." And now here you is—you have a person 
who is asking and crying out that they want to know how to come out of that lifestyle. But you don't want me to give them the real formula. Right. But you as a director who's in a lifestyle, you can't really give them a formula. Mm. You can tell them that they can get that later on down the road. Right now, we just going to treat you a different. Mm-hmm. Mm. Now, you know, which would be the right help? Right. She using, she using because she's trying to medicate the lifestyle she lives. So it's 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 very it's, you know it's, it's very complex. It's, yeah, it's kind of complex, yeah. you know, because like I also talk about you know mental health issues and I you know about how you know mental health issues play a role in addiction. That it does. Yeah, and sometimes you know people. You know, they might not even know that they have a mental health issue and, you know, they're using drugs to self-medicate. That's true. So you know that that's that all we're talking about. You know, yeah. sometimes you have to take care of the underlying problems that, you know, as far as that. That's why they, that, that is so true. That's why they got, like, a dual diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Because, like, it's from what I can, you know, see. Like I'm in recovery. I I did go to a treatment program, and I, I had already made up in my mind that you know it's no turning back for me. You know, because like even though I went to a treatment program, I heard a lot of people say, "Oh, this is my my fifth time being here," and I'm like thinking, "Wow, I'm never coming back here again." <laughs> you know, I have no desire to do to go back to what I was doing. Exactly. So, you know, I feel as though God did deliver me from alcoholism, Mm -hmm. but I'm also being treated for the underlying problem, which is I had generalized anxiety disorder, did not know it. Okay. So I do go to therapy for that, and it helps me, but it's also a spiritual thing, too, because when... Like, you know how some people say, well, I hit rock bottom. My my rock bottom was more of a spiritual rock bottom, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I've always been, like, a spiritual person. And when, you know, I was broken down spiritually, that's what made me get up and get some help because I was like, this is not me. Like, when you walk past a mirror and you looking at yourself and you saying this is not me. And I believe, you know, like I said before, that God put me in that position to, you know, like broke me down spiritually so that I would have enough sense enough to get up out of it. You know what I'm saying? You have to have a spiritual foundation. Yep, that is, I listen. I totally agree. And I made a, a decision, and it's all about decisions and choices. Also, I made a decision to just surrender to God because I was like, I can't do this no more. I'm done. 
you know, and, and, and if everyone can really come to that point, you know, mm-hmm. and, and listening to you say what you said, and it just makes me think about one of the greatest kings who was in the Bible, the Word of God, mm-hmm. is King David when he messed up, mm-hmm. you know, and, and he had this man's wife and had her husband killed. And what he did was he had to come to himself and realize that he had messed up. Mm-hmm. And he had to understand and know that he had a hard problem. That's right. And and that he needed God to do something for him. He had Amen. to acknowledge. So, therefore, I'm saying that to say that if people will really stand and mm-hmm. give God what do him so that you can get exactly what you need. People, the world wouldn't be in such bad shape that it is. People's lives would not be. That's why you hear so many people who, every time you turn around, they are grown and they're saying, man, I was molested by my uncle and I was raped by my sister and I was nobody. See, those kind of things are still secretive. Oh, yeah. People still, I have some people that I know right now, they say, you know what, I have to commend you for being brave and bold enough to tell your story. They say, right. I, I, I ain't at that point yet. Wow. But you know what they say, and I, you know, and it's something that I heard when I was in rehab, they say, your secrets keep you sick. I agree. So it's like when you wrote your book, it was, you know, it probably was very therapeutic for you to tell your story. Yeah. It's like a relief. Yeah. Like a burden lifted off of you when you get, you know, when you tell your story. Because, like, when you tell your story, you never know who's going to read your book they might have been through the same thing. And a lot of times people, when they're going through things in life, they think they're so alone. And they feel like they're the only one that's going through those problems. And then when they hear, you know, like say if they read your book and they hear about your life and it makes them think about, well, this is my story too. I mean, we all have differences in our story, but, you know, the main thing is, like like you say, the molestation, the prostitute, all that stuff. A lot of people are ashamed to say they even did that or they even been through that or they try to block it out. Nobody want to talk about it. I have a, mm-hmm. I have a person who's my friend, and, and, and her sister... And her brother had had sex all the way up until probably like the last two three years ago, mm-hmm. and they close to one is over fifty and the other one is close to fifty. But don't nobody they know that the that the incest was going on, but no, no, they don't want to talk about it. So what does the person do? The sister and the brother one smoke smoke crack cocaine and drink, and the other that drink mm-hmm. beer smoke 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 smoke. Cause you got you got what does what does beer and alcohol do? It alters the mind. It numbs it. So it, numbs, it, numbs, it, numbs, your, it. it numbs your body. It numbs your That's emotions. Right. 
so that you won't feel the devastation. That's so true. Of what you've been, of what you're doing, what you've been through, you know, it numbs that. And this is, and this is not just an African American problem. This oh no! A, this oh no! All, this is an all race problem, but people are so private. Yeah. But the thing is, when you tell your story, you you might be saving somebody else's life. Uh, you know how that go, right? I don't care about saving somebody else's life. I just ain't gonna put me out there. I don't want people I looking know, at me right, crazy. But, but I'm just saying, people—you never know who's listening to your <laughs> story and who's <laughs> reading your story and thinking, "Well, you know, if God can do it for her, He can do it for me too." Cousins, right now, that don't want to speak to me because I talked about how their brother used to. Lay on top of me and grind and ejaculate on my body. Mm. But they don't want to accept it. I talk about how their father used to get drunk and try to kiss on us. They don't want to believe mm. that and accept that. Mm. Well, you know, a lot of people, you know, they rather live in denial. But the truth will set you free. Well, I'm I'm gonna let let them live where they are. I'm gonna be free. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that. They continue to hold on to it, but I'm gonna be free. I'm not, not gonna true, walk huh? you have my package right. There you go. There you go. So, and so you're working. You're currently working on your second book, Break Free. And what is your second book going to be about? Well, I have a lot of people asking me, they wanted to know how am I maintaining Mm -hmm. my sobriety? How am I maintaining it? You know, what is keeping me Mm -hmm. from not going back and using and doing the things? So that's why the book is titled Break Free, one, to be able to talk about all the things that one might be encountering and too afraid to talk about it and don't know how to talk about it. So I'm hopefully, if God says the same, putting together a book with a step-by-step format to being able to do that. And the ultimate goal of it would be to lead them to the Lord Jesus Christ, that who Amen. who will truly set you free. Oh, yeah. And teach you how to maintain. <laughs> so that's sure. the ultimate goal of the book Amen. because so many people was asking, I can't. I can't go back and say that I'm being maintained through, you know, AA and NA, mm-hmm. and that that that's not what's maintaining me. I right. told one of, I told one of my one of my uh, friends who named me DJ, who says, mm-hmm. you know, I gotta go make a meeting, I gotta go make a meeting, I gotta run and go and do a meeting. I said, mm-hmm. why are you doing all this meeting and you're constantly relapsing? Why don't you just simply step to J E S U S? You ain't got to continue to be doing all this running. I got to go make a meet. Meet the man. Exactly. Not the program. Meet the man. There you go. And I told her, I said, listen, <laughs> you can, I told her, I said, listen, you can ever get clean, but can you stay clean? Right. Can you move That's the whole point. You can, you can get clean. The, the thing is, is, is staying Clean and sober, you, you know. It, it's a it's a daily process. It's a, it, we're always going to be on this journey. 
Listen, I call it's a, a one day at a time a, thing. I call a lot mm-hmm. of them on a they on a dry drunk run. They just dressed up garbage cans. Because the reason why I say that is, yeah, okay, you're not doing the drug of your choice. You ain't smoking crack cocaine no more, but you socializing with drinking beer or socializing with drinking champagne. You smoking mm-hmm. cigarettes, you cursing. You still doing some of the same behavior you were doing when you was in your mm-hmm. nickel. I call them nothing but a dressed up garbage can. <laughs> and you're on a dry drunk run. Wow. The only thing you did was stop doing some drugs, but you're still practicing the same behavior. You're still standing out on corners selling cigarettes. You're still standing out slinging CDs. You're still practicing those same behaviors. Yeah, it's addictive behavior. So what's really changed in your life? That's why I stated mm-hmm. that last Christmas. Second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, behold, all things have passed away. Okay. Mm-hmm. I know we have to survive, but God That's gave me true. the skills how to go out and do things right. The right way. <laughs> Productive. Yeah. There you go. Wow. So, can you tell our listening audience how they can? where they can go to purchase your book, who said it couldn't be done. The book can be purchased on Amazon. Mm -hmm. Who said it couldn't be done by Denise Jones, a diamond in the rough. Mm -hmm. Amazon.com. So is there any other sites that your book can be bought well, it's on it's on it's on books of a million. It's on Borders. It's on every known. It's on on right. every known online bookstore. Right. Any event that anyone would like to have a copy, mm-hmm. uh, it's in an ebook format, paperback, mm-hmm. hardback, and it is soon to be coming out on audio. So look for it oh, in the okay. next couple months. It's already in the making. Okay, great. On uh, audio. Yes. Okay, so um, now tell me a little bit more about your 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 uh, the nonprofit organization that you found at Tender Touch NFT, yeah. and Tender Touch, Touch Organization, mm-hmm. which is a nonprofit organization, have the status of a five hundred one c three, and within mm-hmm. this organization, it is working with ex offenders females mm-hmm. or those that are on their way traveling down the road path. So we want to be a road blocker. We want right. to be the one that blocks them from going to the next level. So mm-hmm. what we will be doing is teaching them how to clean up their backgrounds, giving them life skills mm-hmm. and financial stability, and mm-hmm. just teaching them how to be productive. Right. So, and so basically you're working a, with people that are in transition. Yes. And it will be a very open group able to disclose and talk about any and everything that's going to help you maintain a positive lifestyle. Okay, so in Tender Touch NFT, is that that's located in Chicago? Well, when you say that it's tender is just really say it's tender yes, it's tender touch it's tender touch eight. Okay. The NFP is nothing okay. but a not-for-profit organization. Tender Touch Inc. Okay. Yes. 
So and and that's located in Chicago, Illinois, right? That's correct. Okay. So can you tell me, you know, what are some of your long term goals and what are some of your short term goals? All right. My long term goal is working to pitch who said it couldn't be done. Uh, looking mm-hmm. for adaptation, hopefully looking to see a movie. That's the final goal. Oh wow! Okay. So a movie for the my next for your goal, book. Yes, mm-hmm. and my next goal is to get my second book up and going. Mm-hmm. Short-term goal is to finish getting it uh, on audio, and the next mm-hmm. step following that will get it converted into Spanish. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, so can you tell our listening audience how they can reach you on social media? I can be reached on Facebook, LinkedIn. I ha- I, I have a Twitter. I haven't been out on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty much connected. I'm pretty much connected with a lot of the social media, but I'm more so mm-hmm. on LinkedIn than Facebook. Right. Uh, okay. So LinkedIn. I can be Are you on Instagram? Connected. No, I haven't. I have my schedule is so full. I haven't just really been real active okay. in all. Yeah, I couldn't find you. I couldn't find you on Instagram. I found you on Twitter. Well, and I now that you, you say that, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to go and just start a <laughs> start a little site on Instagram. Yeah, I followed you on Twitter and LinkedIn. Do you on Google Plus or also? Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. So can you tell me what's your uh your your uh Twitter Twitter handle? That you can What am I what am I under Twitter? I I believe it's just simply uh Arthur Is it Denise, Denise Jones. Arthur Denise Jones, okay. I forgot. I know I found you though. I did find you. I think it's Arthur Denise. Right. Pretty much every every social LinkedIn. media I get on I use the same thing, Arthur Denise right. Jones. So if if you Google me You'll find but, me yeah. everywhere. Everything that right. I'm connected to, Google, Office, <laughs> Jones, everything is going to come up. YouTube, you know, even if I just started an account, you will okay, find Okay, you're on YouTube also? Yes. Okay. I didn't know that. Okay. There's an, and you're on YouTube as author Janice Jones also? Yes. Are you on Periscope? <laughs> no. <laughs> Okay. I'm gonna I'm have to I'm gonna have to call you up and say okay, turn you gonna have to get me hooked up to all these other sites that you're telling me that I should be connected to. <laughs> well, I'm not on Periscope, you know these, so can't ask me. You know all the Instagram, young people, YouTube. I'm not on YouTube, so. But. All the young people are out on all these various sites. You got so many yeah. social media sites. It's a lot of a lot of social media platforms, but I'm trying to be on. I try to be on the main. The main ones, <laughs> but some of the other ones, I'm like, oh, no, I don't have time for that, you know. But the, you know, I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Google Plus. That's it for me. So, <laughs> so <laughs> that's enough to keep up with. Yeah. So, so um. I'm getting ready to wrap up this show, and I always end the show 
my show was the serenity prayer. And it goes, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace, taking as he did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever and the next. Amen. All righty. And I just want to say thank you so much, Denise, for sharing your testimony with us on the Recovery Corner Blog Talk radio show. It was a really uh, honor and a pleasure um, having you on the show this evening. And thank you for inviting me on the show. And thank you so much. And on three, we're going to say good night to everyone. That's you know to our listening audience. One, two, three. Good night, everyone. Good and night. thank you for joining us on the Recovery Corner Blog Talk Radio Show. And thank you so much, Miss Denise Jones, for joining us on the Recovery Corner. Good night.